Happy New Year, happy 2019. Hope it's started well. Two people, thank you very much. Uh, if you're new, it's good to see you. We're glad that you're here. My name's Philip. I'm uh, one of the pastors, one of the leaders, along with Patrick and Mark. And I'll be teaching from the Bible, as we do here at King's Church uh, each week. Uh, we're going to start our main teaching series for the term in two weeks' time. So we'll start our main series when our life group term starts, because life group is one of the key places where the teaching is applied within life group. So in two weeks' time, we're going to start a brand new series in the book of 1 John, which I'm really excited about. We've had some topical preaching of late. We'll get back into one particular book of the Bible and go through it together and see what all that God's going to say to us through the book of 1 John. So if you are particularly keen, 1 John's only five chapters long. You could read it, I reckon, in half an hour. Why not read the book of 1 John before two weeks time. I used to be a teacher as you can tell, a bit of homework, love setting homework, two week deadline, one John, you're reading in half an hour, it is a stunningly beautiful book. It's going to teach us two things. It's going to teach us that we're loved by God in an amazing way and that the result of being loved by God is that we obey and love others. That's the basic headline of one John, but it is a rich, rich book. Before we get to 1 John in two weeks time, we're going to spend these next two Sundays looking at the theme of busyness. And before I explain a bit about that, why don't you turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Mark and Mark chapter 1. is where we're going to camp out in the next couple of Sundays, looking at the specific issue of busyness. And busyness is a key challenge, isn't it? In, uh, in Kingston, in London, in Surrey, in the West generally. It might not be where you're at. For some of you, business might not be your main challenge. It might be isolation, as we were just thinking and praying about some of the elderly in our community before. But for many of us, busyness is a big, big deal. And I've got this, this uh, image in a moment of a, of a suitcase that I think Chris could just pop up that just reminds me, or at least for me, it kind of speaks to me of, of the busy lives of southwest Londoners in 2019. It often feels like, I don't know about you, something for me, we're cramming so many things into the suitcase that just don't quite fit. We're juggling work and family and, and commitments to friends and so forth and exercise and what it is that we eat and juggling our commitments online and expectations of others and we're trying to squeeze into a suitcase that doesn't quite close. Have you ever seen that person at the airport who's done the old, um, you know, been through security, got their uh, 100 mils stuff of, of, um, uh, in their wash bag and cramming it back in again? We're trying to fit so much in, aren't we, into our lives these days. It often doesn't quite fit. And we go around with a suitcase that is just bursting with the expectations of life. I want to recommend a book to you that I think will be really helpful. The book I recommend is the Bible. If you read nothing else but this year, read the book. Um, but this next slide just tells us about Crazy Busy, which is a really helpful book. There are 10 copies at the back, which you can have to borrow, not to keep, please, but you can borrow them. I'd love you to return them here or to give them on to somebody else in the life of the church who you think could benefit from it. So if somebody else gives you this book, you should know. They think you need to work on your busyness. It's a really short book. His subheading is a mercifully short book about a really big problem. And Kevin Young is a fantastic author. He has condensed real, rich, rich understanding of what's behind our busyness and a very helpful application of how to tame it, how to get it on control, how not to be cramming so much into the suitcase, but instead how to have a suitcase that is nicely full but not, over, not spilling over. Uh, he says this uh, in his book, Crazy Busy. We're all busy in the same sort of ways. Whether you are a pastor and he is, and I am, a parent or a pediatrician, you probably struggle with the crushing weight of work, family, exercise, bills, church, school, friends, and a barrage of requests, demands, and desires. No doubt some people are quantitatively less busy than others, and some much more so, 
But that doesn't change the shared experience. Almost everyone I know feels frazzled and overwhelmed most of the time. That's what the people in my church are like. That's what my friends around the country are like. That's what I'm like. And I think my own experience is not dissimilar to his. Often I feel busy to the point where the suitcase is bursting open. And often in the life of our church, in this church family, often I think people feel quite overwhelmed with all the demands and expectations of life. And we're going to see this morning that Jesus Christ doesn't say to us, if you're really busy and your suitcase is bursting open, be less busy, just do less stuff. That's not what he says. You're about to see that Jesus was as busy as anyone has been before. He was dealing with enormous pressure. He was a busy, busy person. But his busyness, as you're about to see, I think was very unlike most of ours. Certainly unlike a lot of mine. There's Jesus busyness and there's Philip busyness and they're very different. And I think you're about to see that Jesus busyness is beautifully uh, distinct. And we're going to get into that passage right now. So Mark chapter 1 verse 9. So Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Nothing is kicked off quite yet. But it's about to kick off in some considerable fashion. And I love these words that Mark writes in verse 9. In those days of Mark chapter 1, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. These are beautiful words. I love these. And a voice from heaven came. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And the verses go on and Mark describes how Jesus experienced the temptation in the wilderness that he endured successfully, how he called his first disciples. We find out how he starts his ministry by going to a synagogue and and teaching from the Old Testament scriptures all through the day, healing somebody with a a, a a, a demonic spirit. And pick it up again in verse 29. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite words to describe how busy Jesus was. Immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, it's Peter, And those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And when I read this passage, as I say, I see a Jesus who is really, really busy. But it's a busyness that's unlike a lot of mine, and I suspect unlike a lot of yours. His busyness, did you notice, is marked by a clear sense of focus and calling. He knows what he's here to do. He's not distracted. His busyness is marked by prayer. His busyness is marked by being self-sacrificial. His busyness is being marked by being able to say no. Often my uh, busyness is not marked by a clear sense of focus and calling and undistracted focus. It's not always marked by praying as much as I'd like to. It's not always marked by being as self-sacrificial of others as I would like to. And it's not always marked by being able to say no as much as I would like to. 
Jesus' busyness is very, very distinct. So you might say, okay, fine, if I, I do feel pretty busy maybe, and, and Jesus shows a pretty good model for how to be busy, so maybe I'll, I'll do some of the things that Jesus does. I'll, I'll pray more, get up early. I'll, I'll serve people more. Uh, I'll, I'll say no to some, some good things that aren't the main thing. But of course, the danger, if we leap into what we do, A, we could end up just being more busy by just accumulating more things to do, and B, we haven't got beneath what's behind and driving our busyness. And I've called this little mini-series Beneath Our Busyness for that reason. I want us to get beneath what's behind the busyness that some of us live with. Next week, we're much more practical, thinking about all the practical things that we do need to consider if we're going to tame busyness in a different way in 2019. But that's next week. This week, it's not about so much what we're doing, it's what's beneath the busyness, what's in our heart. What are we believing that for some of us makes us as busy as we are. So I'm gonna look at four things that Jesus is believing. I think we can tell that he believes that's beneath his busyness, and we'll see whether that's the case for us. Okay, so then just look at Jesus and think that's amazing. Let's apply what he's like to our hearts and let the Holy Spirit speak to us as we do so. So here's the first thing that I think Jesus believes is beneath his activity of busyness. Is this, I care. The first thing he believes is that I care and therefore I'll be busy. So he's been, uh, he's had a long day at the synagogue. He's been teaching from the Old Testament scriptures all day. He's, he's healed a man with a demonic spirit, as I mentioned. He goes back to Simon's house or, or Peter's house. And before he can sit down after a long day at the synagogue, Mark uses that favorite word of his immediately. So we know that pretty much Jesus comes into the door. He must want to take the weight off his feet after a long day at the synagogue. And we're told immediately, verse 30, and Peter's mother, mother-in-law is very ill. What does he do? Does he say, sorry, my schedule doesn't really permit this. I've, I've clocked off now. I'll see Peter's mother-in-law tomorrow. No, he takes her by the hand and he heals her. So then you think, okay, surely now Jesus is done. Long day in the synagogue, came home, straight away met by need and, and engaged with that more. Surely now, Jesus, you're done. It's getting dark in that culture. Once it's dark, people generally switch off. Verse 32. That evening... At sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. It's Mark's way of saying, a lot of people are piling in at the door as Jesus probably wants to go to bed, and he healed, verse 34, many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So he's going about that all evening as well. Jesus was really busy. This is just one day in the life of his ministry. Why is he busy? Because he believed in caring for people. He cared for people passionately, and he knew that if you believe that, you will be busy. And so I just want to begin by just commending, really, a number of you who are busy, but are busy for the same reason, because you care about people. It's clear, you care about your family, you care about your children, you care about your friends, you care about your wider family, you care about your colleagues at work and you want to do a good job, you care about your brothers and sisters in Christ and the family of God and you want to see them flourish and prosper, and so because of that caring, you are busy. Life group leaders, in my experience, in the life of this church, are busy people. Why? Because they care for people. And people take time. People are not straightforward. Caring for people is messy and often inconvenient and even painful and exhausting at times, as well as joyful and wonderful as well. So to care for people is to be busy. If you don't care for people, you may not be busy, but I don't think you can care for people and not be busy to an extent. 
If we're going to be a church family where each person is able to be truly known and loved and, and help to, to know God more and more and make God known more and more, that, is, that, that requires activity and service and sacrifice and a degree of busyness. And I see it a lot in the life of this church. Now, it might be that all of your busyness comes from that purity of motive. You love God, you love people, you want to see people know and love God. And all of your busyness comes from that. If that is you, I, I would love to chat to you, Arthur, because your motives are purer than mine. My motives behind why I'm busy are not as simply as pure as I just care for people. And I suspect yours might be a little bit messier as well. Second thing that Jesus also believed was that he is loved. He believed that to care is to be busy. Secondly, he believed that he was loved. Verse nine, one of my favorite passages in the whole of scripture, as Jesus is baptized to identify with us, uh, it's this wonderful Trinitarian description of what God is like. And so as God the Holy Spirit comes and, and blesses and empowers God the Son, you hear God the Father speaking these wonderful words over God the Son, over Jesus in verse 11. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. They are just wonderful, wonderful words. And I want you to notice, if you haven't noticed before, God the Father speaks those words before Jesus starts his ministry. Okay, so before Jesus has taught anyone, healed anyone, cast out any demons, before he's gone to the cross, God the Father says, that is my son, who I love, with whom I am well pleased. One of them, the Apostle Paul's favorite descriptions of what a Christian is, is to be in Christ. That's one of his favorite descriptions. A Christian is somebody who is in Christ by which he means we are united with Christ. So Paul knows that Jesus is our savior that we follow. He's also our friend who walks with us. He's our king that we obey. But we're also spiritually one with him, actually united to him. His righteousness, his perfection, and his sonship is ours. If you're a Christian, if you believe in the, the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the victorious resurrection of Jesus, you become united to him and what's his is yours, including his sonship, not his divinity, but his sonship in the family of God. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13:5. He says with like a sense of exasperation and passion, I think, to the Corinthian church, and this verse is not on the screen, 2, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, if you're making notes, he says, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? He talks about the unity. You're not just following Jesus, obeying Jesus, living for Jesus, heralding Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're actually united to Jesus, which means a Christian is also a child of God the Father, over whom God says, you are my son or my daughter, you're my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. So before you got up this morning, that's what the Father was speaking over you. That's my, that's my son, that's my daughter sleeping away. That's my, that's my beloved. I love her so much and I'm pleased with her. So whether this morning, whether you, whether, you, whether you prayed this morning or whether you just kind of vegged out flicking through your phone, God the Father said, I'm pleased with you. Before whether you shouted at the kids or encouraged the kids, before any of that and since any of that, God the Father, because you're in Christ and what he, what's his is yours, he says over you, I am well pleased for many of us, we know the theology of that, but the question is, has it got from head to heart? Do you believe that? You see, Jesus' busyness, and he's busy, I hope we've seen that, 
is in response to affirmation and acceptance, not in order to obtain affirmation and acceptance, is yours. Jesus' uh, busyness is because he's secure, not in order to be secure, is yours. You see, so much of our busyness is my own experience and my observation is because we, we want the approval of others. Some of it comes down to meeting the expectations that others have of us, partly because what we might get from them in response. And it's a real subtle thing. That's why I'm saying let's get beneath the busyness. Let's not just come up with some more efficient way of living. We're trying to get to the heart here. It's really subtle. Let me give you an example. The other, before Christmas, somebody in this church said to me, Philip, you're, just, you're really busy. I don't know how you do it. And what went off in my heart was not, wow, I'm really grateful that someone in the church should care for me and be watching out for my spiritual health. What went off in my heart was, oh, good. I'm glad you noticed. Pride. I like it when people say, oh, you're busy. How do you fit all of that in? I like it when you say that. So don't. <laughs> it's, not good for, it's not good for my heart. Now, someone else could be just as busy as me, more busy than me, but the heart is in a different place. We're trying to understand what's behind it. Let me give you another example, a hypothetical one. Let's say you've got two parents uh, in the same school. Both their children go to the same school somewhere in Kingston. And there's a fundraiser that needs to be uh, organized to raise money for uh, a trip for the kids to go on. And both these parents come together and say, yeah, we'll, we'll organize that. We'll organize that fundraiser. And they both commit to the same sort of workload and expectations and, and busyness, if you like. They've both got the same aim to raise money to better educate these children. But let's say you're observing and you have a special insight into what they're really believing beneath their busyness of organizing this fundraiser. It, it, it starts to become uh, known to you, as it were, as the preparations come to a climax and the fundraiser is about to start, you realize that though both these parents are working just as hard, organizing the same thing for the same reason, one of the parents is doing it in order to love people. And one of the parents is doing it in order for people to love her. They're doing it, they do the same thing, same activity, same busyness, same obvious uh, surface and ambition, but actually one of them is driven by a desire to love people. And one of them is driven by a desire for people to love her. It's subtle. Our busyness can be, deep down, a result of different P's. Kevin DeYoung mentions this in his book, people-pleasing. A desire for pats on the back or in order to prove ourselves. He says this, one more, one more quote, I think it should pop up, Chris, thank you. He says, all this busyness, people pleasing, pats on the back, proving ourselves, if that's what's behind it, it makes our lives miserable, living and dying by the approval of others, and it usually hurts those who are closest to us, who get what's left of our time and energy after we try to please everyone else. People often call it low self-esteem, but people-pleasing is actually a form of pride and narcissism. Ouch. That's why I said when I read that, ouch. Pride often begets all kinds of sins, and it's subtle, or subtler perhaps than some other sins. And some of our business is coming from a, a, a sense of actually we need to prove ourselves, we need to be noticed. My guess if it's just me that finds that popping up in my heart, I'm probably, not, I'm probably not the only one. But Jesus knows that he's busy because he's loved, not in order to become loved and accepted and affirmed. We'll loop back to this in a moment. Third thing I think Jesus believes, 
third belief beneath his busyness is that he's dependent. So he cares, therefore he's busy. He's loved, so he's secure. Thirdly, he's dependent. What do I mean by that? Well, as I said, he's had a long, exhausting day, teaching, healing, caring for hurting, broken people, late into the night after he got home as well. I would have thought he might finally switch off at some point and just kind of veg out on Netflix for a bit and have a lion in the morning. He's had a tough day. What does he do? Verse 35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus is really tired, he must be. And we know that he did get tired from other parts of scripture. Also, more subtly perhaps, he's super successful. Things are going really well. He's, he's smashing out of the park. People love his teaching. He's healing people. He's seeing remarkable things. If I was really tired and nailing it every day, I think I just would go to bed, have a lion, recharge, and carry on doing what I was doing. And yet here he is, getting up early while it's still dark to pray. Why? Well, firstly, because he's loved. Back to that previous point. He's loved, he loves, and he knows that for him to pray given that he's not just fully man, but also fully God, is to step into the, 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 the fellowship of the Trinity and enjoy the Father and the Spirit. He loves to pray. It's where relationship is found. It's where joy is to be found. But he's also praying because he's dependent. He's dependent. Philippians 2.8 tells us that God the Son, Jesus Christ, humbled himself. And one of the ways that Jesus humbled himself was by becoming human, by being clothed in all the frailty that humanity includes. So Jesus knows, though he's God the Son, he's also God the man, he knows he needs the sustenance and encouragement and direction of the Father and the Holy Spirit. He needs to be refreshed and replenished and reminded of his vision and calling and encouraged and strengthened. Jesus needs to do that. Many of us find it hard to pray. That's not an original observation by either me or any church pastor, I think. Many of us find it hard to pray. And one of the worst things pastors can do is just make people feel guilty that they don't pray enough, get up early enough, and so on and so forth. Really easy to do and not effective. But one of the other worst things pastors can do is not layer us again and again the, the primary importance and joy of getting up in the morning and opening our Bibles and enjoying God in the word and in prayer. See, put it, think about it like this. What if we believed what Jesus believed? What if we believed that in prayer there really does lie an intimacy and a joy and a peace that nothing else can surpass. I think if we really believed that, it would be the first big rock, wouldn't it, in the list of priorities, in the diary. And what if we really believed, secondly, that we cannot do what we're called to do without enjoying God in prayer? If we really believed that we just can't do what we're called to do without praying, without getting up early in the morning and finding God in the ways that work for us and the different creative ways that we have, if we really believe that we just can't do the day, then it would become a priority, wouldn't it? 
Now, in terms of the, the specific calling and stuff and priorities, we might look at more of that next week, but we all have, if you're a Christian, the same general calling. Jesus summed up what it is to be a Christian, what's the mission statement of every Christian in two really simple ways. The great commandments, the great commission, yeah? So in the great commandment, he said the biggest commandment, the, the biggest thing I lay before you is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second of these is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, to love people as much as you love yourself. And in the great commission, he said, go into all the nations, make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. In other words, the mission statement of a Christian, as far as Jesus is concerned, is love God, love people, and help more people to find and love God. That's a serious mission statement. I know I cannot love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength without his help. I cannot love you as much as I love myself without his help. And I cannot help anybody begin a journey of exploring, finding, encountering Christ for themselves and following him for themselves without God. Jesus, God himself, believed he needed time with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the morning. So we could think, okay, right, yep, New Year's resolutions, New Year, must make time, set alarm clock earlier, download Bible reading planned, do more stuff. Like I say, next week, that might be a very helpful practical application for you to do. But at the moment, we're looking at what's in our heart. So why not begin, even in these moments, ask Jesus, ask Jesus to change your heart. Ask him to show us what is in our hearts. What do I really believe about prayer? And if I'm finding it hard to believe that it works, or that it's joyful, or that I need to. Holy Spirit, would you show me, why do I believe that? Help me to understand it, to confess it, to repent of it, to be changed, to see prayer as Jesus saw prayer. An absolute priority and an absolute gift. So please don't start making these resolutions right now. Look in your heart, what are you believing? If we really believe that we're absolutely dependent upon God, I don't think we'd go into the day without him. Now, into my final final belief. At this point, Jesus' busyness has been marked by lots of yeses, hasn't it? He's been saying yes to teaching in the synagogue, yes to hurting, ill, demon-possessed people, yes to Peter's mother-in-law, yes to getting up early to pray. And if he hasn't already shown that his business is different to yours, I think he's about to show it is even more different, because now his busyness is marked by saying no. So this is the final point. He's called Jesus' fourth belief is that he's called. He cares. He knows he's loved. He's dependent. Fourthly, I'm called. He gets up early to pray. He finds his private place to go and pray. Deliberately gets away from people. And yet his disciples in their own sort of blundering but keen way track him down, find it, get hold of him. And they say in verse 37, you can imagine with some gusto, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. In other words, what are you doing? There are people to please. We've got a schedule to keep to. We've got some priorities here. We're busy here, Jesus. The stuff's going well. They're, they're queuing up at the door to see you. What are you doing here? What does Jesus say? Verse 38. Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. In other words, Jesus says, I, I am busy, disciples, just not like you. I know what I'm called to do. I've spent time with my father, I'm dependent on him, I know that I'm loved by him, I know what I'm called to do, and therefore I can say no. 
Jesus knows what he's called to. He's called to teach. He's called to herald the kingdom of heaven, not just in this one town, I think it's Capernaum, but to the whole region. So he moves on. And you can imagine probably Peter, you could imagine, it's not in the text, but you could imagine probably Peter saying, there's all these people. They're queuing up outside the door. They're going to be disappointed, Jesus. You ever felt that? You begin to try and say no to something and you just absorb the, the subtle disappointment of somebody. Oh dear, you, well, you won't make that. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll cope. We'll, we'll cope without you, just about. Jesus is like, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm not here to, I'm here to care for people, belief one, but I'm not here to please people. Jesus says, I, I can say no to good things because I've said yes to the best thing. Time with my father, the calling from my father. The question is, can you, can we, do you say no even to good things? Do you know what it is, yes, to care for people? I think many of you do. Do you know what it is to say, I'm loved, I'm secure, I'm dependent upon God, I can't even take another breath without him. And fourthly, because I know I'm loved, because I'm dependent upon him, because I spend time with him, I know what I'm called to do, and so I can actually say no, even to good things. That's a massive part of the challenge of business. It's not just doing more things efficiently and effectively. It's actually just saying no to things. Do you say no to things? When was the last time you did say no to a good thing? You see, Jesus is radically different. He will exhaust himself and inconvenience himself in the loving of people. He's got home, long day, Peter's mother-in-law, then it's dark, all these people outside the, outside the door, I want to go to bed. And Jesus will exhaust himself and expend himself and inconvenience himself for people because he knows what it is to care, because he's loved, because he's dependent, because he's called. And because he knows what it is to, to care and because he's loved and because he's dependent and because he's called, he can also say no to the same people. He can heal these people in a moment. And yet he says, no, it's not what God's calling me to do. I'm moving on. He's secure because he's loved. He can say no. He's so secure in who he is, so dependent on his relationship with God, so clear on his calling that he can say yes to people and inconvenience himself and say no to people and be fine about it. Can you? So let me just land it like this. I've just summed up these, uh, the four kind of beliefs that I think Jesus is uh, at work underneath his busyness. I just want you to take a moment just to look at those afresh and just see whether that's the case for you as you begin 2019. Whether you feel super busy and the suitcase is bursting open, or actually you don't, but this is still a really helpful thing to do. Is this the case? This is Jesus, so it's not going to be us perfectly. But to what degree do you care for people? To what degree have you embraced the radical nature of what Jesus commanded? Love your neighbor as yourself. Wash people's feet in service of them because I came and served you. Church life should be busy in many ways if we really are living out Jesus' great command and the great commission. And it might be that God wants to just commend you in these moments. And many of you, I think he does. You care deeply for people. And some of you, there's a, there's a challenge here. Actually, you are busy, but you're busy serving self. You're busy on screens and on Netflix and on various things that are accruing comfort. Jesus was busy because he cared so deeply about people. But he was also busy 
in a way because he was loved. Do you really believe that this morning when you woke up, God the Father said over you, if you are in Christ, you are my beloved daughter. I am pleased with you. Not, ah, you again. Ah, yeah, okay. I'm pleased with you. I experience pleasure, delight. I sing over you this morning, whether you prayed for half an hour or not. Once you believe that, once the Holy Spirit allows it to sift from your head to your heart, and the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, starts to work in you so that you can cry out, Abba, Father, then you can be Jesus busy, which might be seriously busy and sacrificial, but coming from the fact that you are loved, not in order to be loved. What are you trying to prove? Why do you work as hard as you do? Is it because God's called you to that job and to serve that boss and to build that business and to provide resources for your family and the kingdom of God? If, which, if it is, work away. But actually, are you trying to prove something? Do you live with a lack of affirmation because you don't or you haven't had a father who did affirm you? So something is driving you to accrue affirmation and it's exhausting you and it's exhausting those around you. Thirdly, dependent. How dependent do you really live? Jesus got up early in the morning to pray because he wouldn't dare start the day without it. And yet I will sometimes not find time, opportunity to pray. And there's grace for that because remember what the Father says, I'm pleased with you. But because he wants so much more for us, there's this dynamic of prayer and opening the Bible that is for us. And I think if we really believe that it works, if we really believe there's deep joy to be found, and if we really believe that we can't do without it, our prayer lives will be radically changed. And fourthly, what about calling? And we'll think more about this next week. We've all got this, if we're in Christians, we've all got this same primary calling, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love each other as we love ourselves, and to help as many as we can explore and encounter and find God for themselves. That's a big calling. Oh, and just on top of it, Jesus said, you will have trouble whilst you do that. So one of the things that happens in prayer as you start to pray, as you start to worship, is you are reminded of your weakness and of God's strength. You are reminded of what he's put before you. And at the same, what happens to me is two things happen. One, awe and adventure starts to rise. Wow, thank you, God. I'm not called to a mundane, black and white life where I just trot through this stuff and tick off some activities. I'm called to an adventure in God. I'm called to make investments that will last forever into eternity. Today. And as that's happening, wow, I'm also thinking, oh my goodness, I can't do any of it. I can't even love someone a fraction like Jesus without the Holy Spirit changing my fragile, messy heart. Are you dependent upon God? And are you called? Oh, sorry. Because of that general calling next week and even now, think about maybe in prayer and fasting. So two great opportunities. One's right now and one's in a week's time. The one in a week's time is prayer and fasting. That's come up at a really good time. Anyone would think we'd organize it like that. What a great week to go into to consider how is 2019 looking for me? Not how can God get on board with my plans and bless them. What is God calling me to this year? What does that mean saying yes to? And what does that mean saying no to? 
So prayer and fasting is a great moment to take stock, to seek God, to get up early and pray, to fast with it. And the short-term opportunity is communion. So we're going to share communion together in a moment, which we always do on the, on the first of the month. And as we share the Lord's Supper, which I think will appear, and if it hasn't, then we'll... Thank you very much, Jason. Use that just to reflect on the gospel afresh. Don't go towards the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, ready to do more things. Go towards it ready to receive him afresh. You think on that one day that Jesus sacrificed and inconvenienced himself and prayed lots. What about the Garden of Gethsemane? What about the cross? What about in the garden? You see Jesus praying desperately before the cross, crying out to the Father for for confirmation and for strength to go through with what he has to go through for you. You don't just see him in, the, in, our, in our synagogue scene sacrificing inconvenience himself. The cross is the ultimate picture of God inconvenience himself for us. So come to, if you're a Christian this morning, if you put your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, come to the Lord's table as it often is called. Come to communion. Come to the Lord's Supper. Receive the grace of God afresh. Restate your love for him, your desire for him. It might be a place of confession and repentance and fresh forgiveness to begin 2019. And wouldn't it be great if we were to model a type of busyness that was utterly distinct from the world around us? A lot of my mates and friends in this part of the world, they are busy with the bursting suitcase, trying to fit in everything, driven by all kinds of things, just as some of us are. But what if we model a type of business that was so sacrificial, so serving of others, so uh, able to be inconvenienced, and at the same time so secure and calm and able to say no. It, was, it would speak volumes to a city that is rushing around with so much franticness and hecticness and busyness. So Jamie, maybe you can come and join us and help us to uh, take communion in a moment. I think we won't just sing, we'll just have a bit of music to help us and you can uh, stay where you are for a bit, you can take the, grab, the, grab the person next to you, go and take communion, take, come back down. We'll just take a few minutes uh, to do this. And I feel like I'm, I'm rambling to an extent, so I want to just land well uh, and I'll do that by, by praying, I think. Like I say, in a moment, just take some time. It's not a rush we're not too busy, I hope, just to take, stay in our seats, pray, take communion. If you're not yet a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. We really are. We love the fact that you're here. Um, and we would ask you to use this moment not to take communion, which is something that Christians do, but instead just to enjoy the moment, to reflect, to think. And if you want to say, yeah, I want to begin 2019 by putting my faith, by saying I do trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And whether I'm busy or not, I'm going to live for him. What a great time to do that. And we'd love to talk and pray with you if that's where you are. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for being with us. And we just in these moments give to you our life suitcases. And whether they are empty and we feel lonely and isolated and without purpose, or whether they are just full to bursting and we don't know how we're going to cope with the next day or somewhere in between, we just give that suitcase of responsibilities and activities and ambitions, we give it to you. And as we share your, this wonderful meal, as we reflect upon your self-sacrificing act on the cross for us, shedding of your blood, breaking of your body, would you just begin to melt our hearts afresh with the wonder of the gospel? Would you show us what it means to be Jesus busy? <laughs> Where we do care for people.
but we do it from a place of being loved, of being dependent, and of being called. Change our hearts in these moments. Help us to model something beautiful to those around us this year. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I say, just take your time, share communion, talk, pray, think, reflect, and we will uh, maybe worship more in a bit.